Yes, Lord, that's our prayer, God. What a, how appropriate it is right now, Lord, that with what we're going to, God, we just want to surrender all to you, God. Lord, with our lives, with our heart, Lord, with our mind, everything we want to give over to you and submit to you. And Lord, as we open your word tonight, I pray, God, that you would speak to us and your Holy Spirit would continue to minister to our hearts. God, as we surrender our will, our heart, everything to you right now, we ask for your touch and anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you can be seated. Oh, you're seated already. Awesome. Uh, grab your Bibles, and if you can open them up to Acts chapter 19. We finished Acts 18 uh, last week, and now we are crossing over into chapter 19, and I'm looking forward uh, to everything we're going to learn tonight. And uh, I want you to be ready ahead of time that we are going to be uh, flipping through some different passages uh, in Scripture tonight as we learn some more about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I just want your fingers to be ready, yeah, for flipping and turning. But we're going to get right into our study here right now. Now, I want, do you remember how amazingly after the fire that ravaged Lahaina, that on the news I remember seeing the 150-year-old banyan tree showed that it was not totally destroyed. They say today maybe about 20% had been burned, but uh, when I read, looked at this article, it was a month after the fire, there was green shoots, right, start beginning to sprout up from branches between the brown and withered leaves. I don't know if you remember seeing that in the news. It was, it was real hopeful. There we saw, even after the fire, there were signs of life. And, of course, that's what we want to see with that banyan tree that's so iconic there in Lahaina. And thinking about that, there was three guys talking story. They're saying, hey, when you're laying in your casket with all your friends and family gathered together, what would you like for them to say about you? Well, the first guy said, I would like them to say I was a great doctor and a loving family man. Well, the second guy said, I want them to say I was a good school teacher and help anybody less fortunate. Well, then the last friend, the last guy spoke up, and he said, I would like for them to peer into the casket and say, look, he's moving. <laughs> well, signs of life, we like that. We, it's part of our life. And you know what? God wants that in our lives, too, spiritually. Today, as we return and continue our study here in the book of Acts, it, we come to a, a passage where Paul asked 12 guys some questions to see if there might be some signs of life in them. So that's the title of our message, Acts 19, Some Signs of Life. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 tonight. So again, the title is Some Signs of Life. Now there's four things we're going to see here. Uh, number one, the investigation. Number two, the clarification. Number three, the regeneration. And number four, the manifestation. So I did a shun thing here. So hopefully that helps you to remember and easier to write down. So again, the title, Some Signs of Life, Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 and 2. And I we're going to see the investigation here, the investigation. Take a look with me here, Acts 19, verses 1 and 2. It reads, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So we'll stop right here. Now Luke, the writer who's been, who writes the book of Acts, he's been giving us this account, what's been happening in this story. Well, he comes into chapter 19 with the word, and so he's connecting it to the story right before that. So, 
And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, you remember last time, we ended chapter 18 with Apollos traveling to Corinth to where we see at the end of verse 18 to powerfully refute the Jews in public showing by scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So remember Priscilla and Aquila had been left in Ephesus to minister to believers there as Paul had traveled through. And then while they're there, they met up with Apollos, who, who didn't know anything about Jesus. All he knew was about John the Baptist. And he actually was, a very, he was very eloquent in his speaking. He was speaking in the synagogue. He was passionate. But they took him aside and said, hey, look, um, you know, privately, hey, you know what, what we are talking about, the Messiah, he's come, and he's Jesus. And we learned last week that he got saved, and then he became even more powerful through the Holy Spirit, preaching Christ in the synagogue. So, so he ended up going from Ephesus to Corinth to minister over there. So that's how we come into this story where Luke says, and while, you know, Paulus was at Corinth, that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now, that connects us to what we saw back in Acts 18.23, that Paul had come to Antioch, finished his second missionary journey, then he took off to his third missionary journey, going the inland route, visiting churches and uh, Phrygia, all over that area, and now he ended up in the city of Ephesus. I have a little map you can see, kind of get a little perspective of what's going on. You can see, uh, I don't know, this map says Antioche, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it it shows him this is the third missionary journey. Some of the other lines are are the places he goes after, but you can see him going up Tarshish and going across. Phrygia, Galatia, we saw there in Acts 18. And now look at Ephesus. That's where he is at right now. And if you remember back in verse 21 in Acts 18, he was there in Ephesus. And, and the guys there said, oh, stay, Paul. We want to hear more. And he goes, no, I got to go. And so he ended up going to Jerusalem, back to Antioch. So anyway, he's back now. He said, if God wills, I'll return. And he's back. God willed him to return. All right, so here he is in the city of Ephesus. Now, later I'm going to talk more about the city probably next week. But for now, he's in this ancient city of Ephesus. And there, it says in verse 1, he found some disciples. Now, in this city of Ephesus, he particularly found some guys. And there's actually 12 of them. How do I know that? Well, if you look at verse 7, it says there were about 12 men in all. So it tells us there's 12 guys here, um, 12 disciples. Now, that's interesting. Here, Paul ran into 12 uh, guys. And the big question here is because Luke uses the word disciples here. The big question is, are these guys believers in Jesus. Now, let me tell you, there's much talk about that. Commentaries, pastors, a lot of views on this. And, and, and some feel that, yes, these guys are believers, yet they did not receive the Holy Spirit yet. I mean, that's what Paul asked them in the next verse, right? Some feel, yes, because, you know, later in the next verse that he says, um, have you believed? Okay, so we have two words that we kind of uh, connect with being saved, right? Well, we're disciples of Jesus and we believe in Jesus. So some feel like, no, yeah, these guys are saved. Uh, but most say, I should tell you, they say, no, these guys are not saved. Because you know, the real question is this, disciples of who? Who are they disciples of, right? Who do they believe in? That that's really comes down to the real question. I mean, the word here in the Greek that, mean, that we translate disciples, it actually means like a student learner or follower. So these guys were followers, students. They were disciples, I think, of God. And we'll see in a moment there. These guys are Old Testament guys, very devout, following God, into God. And so in that sense, I guess we could say they're disciples of what they know of in the Old Testament of God. So disciples could be used, yeah, as a follower, as a learner, as a student, not necessarily 
a believer. I mean, the rabbis had disciples too, right? That they disciple. Jesus had his, his disciples. We know 11 were really followers in faith. Did you know that? Um, did you, or, or if you remember that when Jesus stood up and said, I am the bread of life, you got to eat of me and come to me and only through me you'll have eternal life. That in John 6, 6, 6, 6, chapter 6, verse 66, it says that many of the disciples turned back and didn't follow him anymore. So just an example that you can use the word disciple to mean maybe a saved person or not a saved person. A person is just following, just a, a student. So for me, I go with the view that these 12 guys are not followers of Jesus. So they're not really saved and, and at, at this point. And we're going to see that unfold, I believe, in the passage as we go. You know, it's kind of like I've talked to some people, you know, in the past, and, and they said, well, yeah, I follow God. Have you ever talked to someone like that? Yeah, I'm, I follow God. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know God. But we know that you really can't know God until you know Jesus. Isn't that right? I mean, you can know about God, but you can't really know, know God, have a relationship with God unless it's through Jesus. And that's the amazing thing for us as believers who have accepted Christ, who have faith in Christ, that we have a living relationship with God and we can know God and we can truly be followers and disciples of God. But some people just say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I know God. But again, what does that mean? What does that, disciple of who? What do you really believe? All right, so Paul goes on here in verse 2. He found these, quote-unquote, disciples. In verse 2, Paul, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so there's that word, believe. And I think Paul senses something is lacking. I mean, perhaps like Apollos. Do you remember when we learned about him? He was very passionate in what he believed in. He was very strong in sharing his belief in the Messiah. And I think these guys are the same. They're like Old Testament guys. They're like, yeah, the Messiah. We believe that for a fact the Messiah is coming. We got to prepare ourselves. I mean, they, maybe they even shared from the Old Testament scriptures like I believe Apollos did. And so Paul, in listening to them, just sitting down with them, talking story, these 12 guys, he can see, oh, they, they have belief in God. He can feel their passion. He can hear in the voice their, let me put it this way, their Jewish devotion to God. I mean, they're real about that. They're sincere about that. So here's Paul. He puts out this question. And I believe he, he kind of setting their heart up to find Jesus. So he puts it out and he says, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And what was their answer? Their answer here in, in verse 2 is, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They're like, well, no, I mean, they're just clueless. Holy Spirit? What, what, what do you mean receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, um, uh, did, did they uh, receive the Holy Spirit? I, they, I think they didn't really understand, like, what? The Holy Spirit? Receive? What? Wait, what, what's going on? So I believe Paul's kind of putting out there to kind of put feelers out, but to lead their heart into showing them that when we receive the whole, Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. Paul was asking what he knew about salvation in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, me, I was thinking, well, Paul, how come you didn't ask, did you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You know, why didn't he just get right to it? But I believe God in his design for this passage, had Paul asked this way for these sincere Old Testament believing Jewish guys seeking the Messiah to lead them to Christ. And I think for us too, that we can understand a little more about the Holy Spirit tonight. See, what Paul knew is that the Holy Spirit is given at salvation to indwell us. 
That's upon you. That's upon. It's not like in the Old Testament times. No one, except maybe kings, certain kings, certain prophets, would have the Holy Spirit. But now, in the New Testament time, after the cross, after we're forgiven, cleansed, after we have been made righteous in Christ, you know what? Now, the God, the Spirit, can live within us. Isn't that mind-blowing? I don't fully comprehend that, but I know what the Word says. So this is upon you. So he's kind of coming in at them in that way. These Old Testament devout guys, they, Holy Spirit, what? In us? That, that's never happened in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we know it did happen at Pentecost. Paul knew that the Holy Spirit comes when salvation comes. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 9, the first part, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he goes on talking about Christ there. See, understand this. At the moment of salvation, when you give your life to Christ, when you, you, you come to Him, you repent, you receive Him, you give Him your life, at that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6? He's, he said that we are what? Our body is a temple of the Spirit. That means the Spirit lives within us. Now, understand this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? He's God. He's not just some force out there, right? We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He, not it, not this some sort of ghosty kind of thing. No, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives within us. And what does he do? Well, we find in the Bible and Scripture that when he comes to live inside us, when he comes inside us, when we receive Christ, you know what, first of all? He regenerates us. He makes us into a new cre creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You have to understand that, that he's the agent. He's the one who makes us a new creation. That's the Holy Spirit. We also know that the Holy Spirit seals us. In other words, the Holy Spirit in us is like a mark that guarantees that eternity is our destiny, that heaven is in our future. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us he's a seal upon us. He's guaranteeing, oh yeah, now we, we get a future in heaven. When the Holy Spirit comes within us, it also says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 that we are baptized into the body of Christ. You know what that means? That means we're immersed into God's family. Baptized really means immersed. Uh, you could be baptized in water, immersed in water, but uh, Holy Spirit baptized, immerses us into the family of God. Think about it that way. That now we are children of God, Romans 8, 16. So that's the Holy Spirit role and initially, when he comes inside us, he makes us new creation. He seals us. We are put into the family of God. We're made into children of God. We're put into the body of Christ. So I think Paul's kind of coming at them in this way, knowing all these things. He said, oh, wow, you guys have a passion of God. Oh, you guys are followers of God. Oh, that's all. Hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Kind of to prick them, like, what? No. Wait, what, what do you mean, Holy Spirit? When, when, when's that? What's that? What, what's going on there? Kind of to perk their mind up. Maybe Paul is trying to remind them of God's promise. Remember the promise of the Father uh, Jesus talked about. But if we go even way back to Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from you, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. Then verse 27 says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Like the Spirit comes and lives within us and helps us live for God. Strengthen us. Uh, uh, it, it gives us ability. We know the Spirit also produces fruit, right, in our lives, Galatians 5. So we understand all of that in salvation of Jesus. And perhaps Paul is just kind of like teasing them a little bit. Maybe reminding them, you, you guys are Old Testament, devout guys. Hey, have you, have you re 
receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Well, we believe in God. Well, did you receive the Holy Spirit then? What? Huh? What? So the investigation showed the 12 are not saved. Do you understand that? When Paul's question revealed, they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And I believe Paul was helping them to start maybe investigating themselves about, wait, what's missing? Remember last week we talked about the, the title of the message is the missing ingredient. Yeah? And here Paul is getting them into trying to show them some signs of life, and that's the Holy Spirit in us. The other day, um, Elisa told me that she didn't eat the salad at the potluck, or she did a little bit, because uh, uh, she got a little sick, because I guess I didn't know this, but they put preservatives in the salad, and she's sensitive to that. And it, and it affected her. But, you know, it started to open my mind. You know, you put something in your mind, right? Sometimes bad things, sometimes good things. But they start rolling in my mind. I start going, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Salad, you think salad's fine. think it's healthy, fine. You know, bought it, you know, from the restaurant and everything. And it made me seek out more information about that, like, Oh, they do that. Wow. Hey, there's preservatives in this and that and this. You know, and, and then I don't know, um, Kristen probably thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, I think there's preservatives in this. You know, She's like, it tastes fine. <laughs> I don't know. We bought it from the store, you know, kind of thing, right? You know how your mind starts putting things in. But, and, and, but you know, I never thought salad. So, you know what? Last Sunday, Lisa made the salad for us. <laughs> uh, anyway. Sometimes, you know, something gets put in your mind, and we need to investigate. We need to look into ourselves. We need to look into ourselves spiritually. Search me, O God, and know my heart, right? See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting, the, the psalmist wrote, David wrote. We need to be like that, too, and not just go on our way. Well, Paul's kind of sparking their heart. These guys hope. They're, they're, yeah, we're followers of God. We, we believe the Old Testament scriptures, and, and they're into that. But Paul's like, how about the Holy Spirit? Huh? What? Holy Spirit? So Paul opens up this investigation. Well, Paul's asking this leading question to see if there really is any signs of life. Let's go to number two. The clarification, the clarification, verses 3 and 4. So he goes on and he says in verse 3, And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, dun -dun -dun, Jesus. So here's Paul, and he puts out, okay, you guys don't even know about the Holy Spirit. Well, let's talk about baptism. Now, perhaps these guys had been sharing with Paul, and you know what? We were baptized. We, were, we went into the water, was baptized. We're, we're fun. We did this for God. And they're very passionate, very strong in their faith. So Paul's like, okay. Well, 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 let's talk about that now. And he asked them, so, well, into what then were you baptized? They say, John's baptism. And so Paul's kind of clarifying where they're at, and the answer is John's baptism. Who is that? John the Baptist, right? So now we get more of a picture of these guys. They're just like Apollos, aren't they? Paul, Apollos only knew of John's baptism. He didn't know the Messiah had come. We learned that last week. And so are these guys. These guys, they're into the Messiah coming. They believe John was, was the one to prepare the path for the Messiah. They were probably preaching the scriptures that Messiah's coming, and John was the one. He, he, he was that voice in the wilderness. You know what? That means, that means the Messiah's going to come, and we went out there. We got baptized. And so they are super strong in that, in their faith, and what they believe, in all the Old Testament prophecies. And now with John, and so understand that Paul is now kind of drawing them out. Oh, okay, John the Baptist, his baptism there. Oh, to note this though, take note that water baptism is really after you believe 
and you're saved. It's not for salvation, all right? So that's not what Paul is rolling into. But he's just leading them into this thought. He's like, oh, great. Okay, you guys, great. You, you, you know, great. John the Baptist, you know what? He goes on in verse 4. Well, his was a baptism of repentance, right? John the Baptist called out for the people of Israel to come and repent of their sins. And how to show that? Well, go into the water and be baptized. Be, go into water and, and show the Lord that you are repenting of your sins. You're going to turn from your sins 180. And so Paul said, yeah, that's great. It's a baptism of repentance. But he goes on to say, um, remember, John was telling the people to believe in the one who is coming after him. And so here's Paul. He's saying, look, John was preparing our hearts, the heart of the people, to repent of their sin, turn from their sin, because someone's coming after him. Oh, yeah, they know that. They understand that. And then, dun dun dun, dun the drums, yeah, right? Dun, 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 the pause. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Guess who, you guys? It's Jesus. Now, perhaps there's more in this conversation, but this was the gist of it. Paul led these 12 to see that John the Baptist was actually pointing to who? Jesus. Yes, that Jesus. Perhaps maybe they, 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 they heard about him. I don't know. Um, like Apollos, maybe these guys were very passionate for God. They had, knew the, the Messiah was coming from John the Baptist, but somehow... They didn't really get the whole story. Remember last week you talked about that. They didn't get the whole story that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. And for, for some reason, I don't know. We don't know why, but that's where they are. They're, to me, they're like stuck in time. They're like back still when John the Baptist was around, when John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus and doing those baptisms. They're, they're, they're stuck in time waiting for the Messiah, but they're fully committed to embrace him when he comes. By the way, the word believe, like in, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The word believe, you know what? That means to entrust totally. It means to embrace fully. It, that's what faith is. It's not just, oh, I, yeah, I believe there's a God. Yeah. No, it's to full on give over to, to say, yes, Jesus. Yes. That's why just that word believe really is a huge word that talks about committing to, turning from your sin. It talks about really embracing totally who Jesus is and what he done on the cross and rising again. And so when, when Paul said, hey, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believe, you know, Paul's throwing out these huge words. These guys, I believe they believe, they fully embrace that the Messiah is coming. They just didn't know it was Jesus. They were stuck back in time, you could say. The clarification showed the 12 did not know who Jesus is. They didn't know that he's actually the Messiah whom they were looking for. So do you understand why I really feel strongly these guys aren't saved? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And they didn't fully understand what? Jesus? Yeah, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. They were like, 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 like still in that, that Old Testament realm. Now, we know that John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. Yeah. He pointed to the Messiah. He, he's the last guy there. And, and in a way, these guys were stuck in transition there, right? Between the Old Testament and New Testament. When John the Baptist comes on the scene at the beginning of the New Testament, right before Jesus yeah, comes into his ministry, they kind of overlap, and then Jesus' ministry takes off. But these guys are still with John, kind of in that, that, that DMZ zone, in that nowhere land between countries, you know. 
And they're, they're, they're kind of stuck there. I believe God brought, them, uh, brought Paul to them to get them out of that. I believe Priscilla and Aquila were, were, were sent to show Apollos Jesus. So the clarification showed the 12 did not know who Jesus is, and that means they're stuck in this back-in-time kind of thing. Uh, we were watching some TV series, and, and it was set back in the 1920s, and there, there was one scene in this TV series where they were walking along the street, and there was a salesman selling like a, an electric washing machine, an electric stove. I mean, I mean, these look very archaic for back then, but this was the 20s. Things were changing. Electricity was coming into the cities, and, and, and this TV show was set in Montana, so it was all rural. But, but they're like, where do you put the wood? Oh, you don't put wood anywhere. You just pl- turn it on, the stove lights, you know, kind of thing. It warms up. And, and, and I was thinking, wow, that must have been strange, you know, I mean, today it's like every day. I mean, we have our stoves, gas stoves, electric stoves, and our washing machines and dryers and, and everything like that. But can you, could you imagine someone who somehow, you know, didn't know all these modern conveniences and you walk in their house and like, how come you don't get an electric stove? What? They make that? Huh? What? That's what these guys are like. These 12 were stuck in that transitional time between the Old Testament and New Testament. They were believers in the Messiah, but they did not know or realize that it is Jesus. Now, as we get into the rest of this passage, perhaps you're stuck between knowing that even God, you know, like God exists, but not even knowing that faith in Jesus brings salvation. Could be that. Or maybe, as we get into this passage, maybe you don't understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life. I told you, I've given you some some things already. But you know, we can neglect the Spirit's work in our life. We need to be mindful of Him. All right, so Paul's trying to find some signs of life. He has the investigation, then he makes the clarification, and now number three, the regeneration. The regeneration. And here we're going to look at just verse five. So verse five, it says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we'll stop right there. So hearing that, what Jesus is the Messiah? Paul's pointing to Jesus. I'm sure Paul explained even more Jesus' life and on how he's born, fulfilled the prophecies, right? Old Testament prophecies. Probably everything he'd been preaching in the synagogues, remember as he's been traveling around reasoning with the Jews, perhaps all of that he was giving. He was giving the Old Testament scriptures, how, how the Messiah would suffer and die, Isaiah 53, right? The Psalms and even his resurrection, Psalm 16, all of that he brought in. And then on hearing that, on hearing what? John the Baptist, this whole time, was pointing to Jesus. He was preparing us for Jesus who had come already. Maybe one of them slapped the head of him. I told you so. No, just joking. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. Right? No, not really. Maybe. (laughs) But I could picture stuff like that. But when they realized all this, the 12, you know what? They believed and received Jesus Christ. So here, like we saw with Apollos, these guys got saved right here. In verse 5, that's why I'm stopping and just looking at verse 5. This was the moment that they believed and received Jesus Christ. And how, how do we know that? Well, in verse 5, it says that on hearing this, uh, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're talking about water baptism. So as the believers did, as we've seen in the book of Acts, that one, uh, the, one of the ways, really, that we show our faith is to go into the water and be baptized. To me, it's like back then, it, it, it was, or, or it's like today we do like altar calls, raise your hand. Back then, it's like, you know what? You want to show your faith? You want to show God what you really believe that you Receive him, that you believe in him, 
You, you get in the water and you get baptized. I mean, it's like coming forward. It takes effort, yeah? You, you do something to show God and everybody, no, I believe in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for me and rose again from the dead. So here's these guys. I, in one sense, I would say that these 12 were ripe and ready to hear the gospel of Jesus. They were seeking God already, right? They're on that path. They're looking for the Messiah. They were passionate to live for God. And so here's Paul. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And they heard Paul and realized John's baptism, I believe this, was to prepare and turn from sin. But Jesus' baptism now, they're baptized in the name of Jesus, was now to receive Jesus and to turn to eternal life. John's baptism was for repentance. Well, Jesus' baptism really was for regeneration. Yeah, the Holy Spirit coming in, making them new creation. So, thus my heading or my point the regeneration came when 12 accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's when the regeneration came. That's when it really happened for him. So we see here in verse 5, these guys, this is when these guys really got saved. They didn't just know God now. Now they could know God, right? They can have a relationship with him now because of Christ's atonement. Martin Luther talked about how the life of a Christian consists of, I like this, possessive pronouns. He puts it this way. It is one thing to say Christ is a Savior. It is another thing to say he is my Savior and my Lord. He went on to say, the devil can say the first, he is a savior. The true Christian alone can say, only the true Christian alone can say the second. He is my savior, my Lord. Now I bring that up because this is where these guys have come to now. They may, they may have been disciples, followers of God in the Old Testament way. Passionate, yeah? Maybe real believers in the one true God, which is great. But they weren't really saved. Because they needed Jesus. And Paul brought them into that place, shared the gospel, and they became Christians. They became saved and now have this intimate relationship with God. And so that's this regeneration that came when they accepted Jesus. All right, so here's some signs of life already. And here Paul uh, led them through the investigation, the clarification, the regeneration, and finally we come to number four, the manifestation. The manifestation. Now, we're going to look at verse six, and, and well, seven we kind of already did, but um, this will be the last part of our message here. And Paul, verse six, when, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Uh, verse 7, these are about 12 men in all. So Paul, after they are water baptized, they received Christ. They made that commitment. They were regenerated, received now the Spirit. Uh, uh, they have eternal life in Christ. Now Paul laid hands on them. In other words, he prayed over them. And when he prayed over them, the Holy Spirit came on them. The Spirit came upon these guys and manifested that the spirit was was in them by the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy the gift of tongues as you know is uh, speaking in an unknown language like unknown uh, to you uh, prophecy is like predictions from God a word from God in that way so this was clearly showing us, and Luke brings this up, bring this in for a particular reason now. It's showing us that these 12 were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I believe that when you come to Christ, and the same with these guys, that the Holy Spirit was already there. The Holy Spirit regenerated them, sealed them. Uh, baptize them into the uh, body of Christ, or children of the Father now. And then now the Spirit, with this, with this prayer, and the Holy Spirit baptizing them here and filling them, uh, the, uh, the Spirit empowers them with gifts. 
Now, why is, why is this important? Why would Luke bring this in here? Well, it's showing that these devout, let's say, quote-unquote, Old Testament Jews sitting in this transition are now saved in Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen in the book of Acts really three other major times like this where the Holy Spirit is baptizing people and tongues show up. And the speaking in tongues show up. First was in Acts 2, you remember, when at Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes and, and the, the fire, tongues of fire and all that. And then they're speaking in tongues and uh, different languages. People are hearing, whoa, that, that's my language and things like that. And these people who don't know these languages are speaking these languages. And remember, that was monumental because that was the first time that, that people were, were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Remember in the Old Testament days, it was never like that. It was only a New Testament thing. And so that was the start, the beginning of Christians, believers, the church being filled with the Holy Spirit in that manner. That was Acts 2. Then we saw that was monumental. So the tongues had to come out, evidence that the Spirit was there. Then in Acts 8, if you remember, uh, uh, when the Samaritans got prayed for, I believe it was Peter and John came and prayed over them, right? And they started speaking in tongues. And why was that important? Do you remember that it was important? Because now Peter and John, these Jewish guys who have become believers, they're going, whoa, the Samaritans believed in Jesus and now they have the Holy Spirit too? <gasps> they can be saved too. They have Jesus too. And remember, there was that rift between the Jews and Samaritans. And if the Samaritans just kind of went on their own being believers, I think that rift would have stayed. But God wanted to bring these Jews, Samaritans, together as one body. Remember, as Paul says, there's not male, female, Jew, or Greek. We're, we're all one now, right? So in a show of the Spirit, the tongues came out to show Peter and John and the other Jews, Samaritans are saved too. Then the, there's another incident. In Acts 10 11, when Peter went to see Cornelius, and as he was preaching, they believed in Jesus, and the Spirit fell upon them, right? And what happened? They started speaking in tongues. And what was the huge thing about that? What was monumental about that? These were Gentiles. So now, when Peter went back to Jerusalem, was testifying, sharing with the guys, you know what happened when I was there, over there, just like us, and Acts, just like the Samaritans, this Holy Spirit came upon them, they started speaking in tongues. And it was to show that Gentiles now are saved in Jesus Christ too. So all this was this, this evidence to show that Jesus saves Truly saved, not just the Jew, not just Samaritans, not just Gentiles. But in this instance, even those guys caught in that Old Testament, New Testament uh, uh, transition there. That even these guys, they are saved through Jesus Christ. They may have a lot of passion, strong belief in God. But the only thing that saves them is Jesus Christ. Now remember... Uh, uh, tongues isn't the only manifestation for being filled with the Spirit, Paul says. Paul mentions that in Corinthians. But in the book of Acts, this was helping everyone to see in the early church, in the early times, that, hey, salvation has come not just to Jews, but to the Gentiles and Samaritans and then even these guys. So the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit showed these holdovers from the Old Testament are saved in Jesus too. That, that's really the, the main thing I want you to see here. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty uh, straight there, right? Yeah, you, you, you can't say, uh, well, I'm a follower of God. I am I." Follow the God of the Old Testament. God will surely let me in. Jesus is pretty straight there. And I think even in this passage, we're seeing Paul bringing out uh, with these guys that, oh, you know what? It's Jesus 
Who are you looking for? It's Jesus. If you follow God of the Old Testament, then you know the prophecies he's talking about. He's talking about the Messiah. And you know who the Messiah? It's Jesus. And that's how you are saved. Now, we don't want to get too mixed up here. As I mentioned, some say the gift of tongues is the only proof you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, it's not. I, I mentioned that already. Some say the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes after salvation and some say they call it a second touch you might have heard of that or a second blessing uh, uh, but we here we see paul prayed right after right they were water baptized right after in other words they came to jesus christ uh, uh, and god really the reason it's here is god showing that old testament believers must be saved in jesus also Again, I said, some people feel like, oh, well, the disciples back there in verse 1, it meant that they're saved. And so, see, later on, they're baptized with the Spirit. But, um, but you can't separate, you know, that, oh, well, the Spirit's not in you until later when you're prayed for. That, you, you know, as I mentioned, um, He regenerates us. He seals us he puts us into the body of christ so so there is that idea of of this second touch that some pull it out of this passage but what about that though the baptism of the holy spirit i i went over some things when we first started the book of acts when jesus said that power come upon you yeah and and you'll be baptized with the spirit uh, but I want to come back to that again. So you hear we're talking about this. We understand who the Holy Spirit is. He's God, right? God the Spirit. We understand what he does in our life when we receive Christ. And then we see here that when Paul prayed for him, they were baptized. They were filled in a way where they were gifted yeah, with a couple gifts. Maybe some of them had a couple of them. Maybe one had one, one had the other prophesying, speaking in tongues. I'm sure maybe someone was interpreting also. So what about that, though? How does that work in all of this? Well, when it comes to the baptism of the Spirit, I, I really like how Pastor Chuck explains it. And that's what I grew up under in my life in Christ. I was saved in Calvary Chapel, and I remember Pastor Chuck explaining it. I think he explains it the best. Now, I want you to turn over to John chapter 14. We're going to be turning to some scriptures here. John 14 and uh, verse 17. Now, here Jesus is talking about that. um, Let's see. uh, verse. If you back up to verse 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. That's talking about the Spirit coming within us. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. If you're not saved, you cannot receive it. The world cannot receive. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is important, this last part. When Jesus says he dwells with you, it's the Greek word para. It means to come alongside. And, and, and I see it this way. The Holy Spirit comes alongside, and he convicts us of our sin. He, you know, it's the Spirit that's saying, hey, you know what, you need to turn from your sin. You need to get your life together. You need to get right with God. Uh, John 16 tells us, he convicts, 16, 8 tells us. So he speaks the truth of God to us. He speaks the word of God. And that's why sometimes you hear in a message, you're like, oh, oh, that's me. That's the spirit, right? Coming alongside, he's with you. And he points to Jesus as the answer for your sins. He shows you the need for forgiveness in Jesus. And so he comes alongside to help you see that. So when Jesus says that he dwells with you, para with you, he comes alongside. Then Jesus says, and will be in you. The Greek word there is en, which means in. So after you receive Jesus... You're cleansed and forgiven, made righteous. Then the Holy Spirit comes in you, in you and lives inside of you. So that's the power come alongside. Uh, and in First uh, John four thirteen, and NLT says, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. So we have para and uh, he comes to the with and in. Now turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. If you remember, 
here Jesus was, was speaking, and in verse 8, Acts 1.8. So, where's my verse 8? Okay, so Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So, uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you, you will receive power. You'll, you'll be empowered to be these witnesses. And we know in Acts 2, after Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached his sermon. God empowered him. 5,000 people, I think, got saved. 3,000, 5,000. Well, one of those numbers. But notice here, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and the Greek word there is epi, it, it means over you. Or I like to say overflow you. My thought is it's like a, a glass. You pour water into it, but you don't stop at halfway. You don't stop at, at three quarters. You go all the way to the brim, and then you keep pouring where the water overflows the brim, and it's just running down the side. That's the idea when it's the Spirit has come upon you. So for me, the baptism of the Spirit is yes, when I receive Jesus, Spirit is in me. Yet it's when I, the Spirit fills to overflow me, to empower me, whether with gifts of the Spirit, uh, whether to give me the strength to go on or the power to stand here and preach. It's not me, you guys. Anything bad is me. But anything good that comes out, that's God. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's the overflow. That's the baptism. You know, when I was a young Christian in my teens, um, I was going to this little Bible study. Uh, my friend's father would, would teach us different doctrines, and one of them was on the Holy Spirit. But one illustration that he gave me, I never forgot. And, and he said, it's like if, if you put a sponge in your hand, and you close your hand, and you squeeze the sponge, yeah? and then you stick your hand into a bucket of, of water, yeah, the, the sponge is in the water, but the water's not in the sponge yet, right? But when you open your hand up and this, the sponge expands and then the water fills its pores and everything, that's the baptism. I thought, wow, that's cool. Because when we come to Christ, yeah, we're, we're plunged into the realm of the Spirit. He's living in us. He's doing things in us. We're part of God's family. family. He connects us with one another. But when we're filled, we're, we're filled, filled right? Overflowing with the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. That's why, turn over to John chapter 7. John 7, Jesus said in verse 38 and 39, he says, John 7, 38 says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers Rivers, you guys, not a little trickle, <laughs> not a little faucet, <laughs> not a little stream of living water, but rivers, you guys, torrents, rivers of living water. And look at verse, the next verse, thir verse 39, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 38 and then 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Do you, do you see what the Holy Spirit is to do in our lives? So how, how do I get there, though? How, do I, how am I fully filled and overflowing? Well, Jesus said, just ask. Just ask. Ask, and you can receive the Holy Spirit. Another thing, really, to think about, and this turn over to Ephesians. This will be the last scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writes here in Ephesians 5:18. He says, "And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Now, the the word "filled" here in original language is it, it, the tense is be continually filled, be continually being filled with the Spirit. It's really talking about abounding in the Spirit. To me, it's that overflow. It's that 
you know, pouring the water into that cup and overflowing. Uh, uh, to me, and I think it's a semantic thing, really, this is me, that the baptism of the Spirit is also this filling that Paul's talking about here. It's this empowering, it's this way to live for God. It, and, and, and what does that mean, though? Do we just, uh, you know, and kind of wait for... But, I mean, God is real, right? And we have a relationship with Him. Well, how do I, I always thought, how do I practically really get to this place? You know, yeah, I can have someone pray for me. Yeah, I, like Paul did. I, yeah, I, I could do that. I can ask God, of course, because Jesus said. But, I, but let me give you a little secret here, and it comes from this verse. In verse 18, he begins this verse and he says, And do not get drunk with wine. What happens when we get drunk? right? The alcohol takes over, right? The alcohol takes over and we're under the control, right, of that substance. Paul said, don't do that. Don't place yourself under the control of that substance, alcohol, whatever it is, but you know what? Be filled. Place yourself under the control of the Spirit. You see, the con- he's contrasting those two things. So, when it comes to the baptism of the Spirit, we must continually place ourselves under His control. We give our heart over to Him. We submit our will over to Him. We allow Him to flow, not us. Sometimes it's a learning thing. Sometimes God just comes and does this thing, and He does. But I'll tell you, He wants us to be an empty cup. That's what it is. We've got to pour out all the other stuff and allow the Spirit to fill us. Years ago, I remember, um, I mean, this is a long time ago, I think in the 90s, um, I went on a youth retreat. Um, my, uh, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. After I taught, one of the counselors came up and shared how at Calvary, long ago, he went up for prayer to be baptized in the Spirit. And he was prayed for. And he said immediately he felt different. Immediately things that he had been doing, drinking, um, alcohol things, he, he never did again after that, that moment. And so we were talking about that. Well, he, he had gone forward already to receive Christ, yet this was another time he went and got prayed for. And, and, and in a way I was like, yeah, that that's hard it looks like the second kind of touch thing but i maybe in that area of his life he did not really truly give up he did not really submit and maybe that was it and maybe ultimately uh that that's what happened i it's hard to explain these things and how God's work because sometimes God allows some things in our lives to keep us relying on Him, right? Sometimes there's things that go away. There's, but, but we're talking about this empowering, really, and the gifting that God gives us in the Spirit to do His will, to, to be used by Him as a tool. And, and I don't understand it all, but in each one of us, though, God wants to work in a powerful way, whether it's the gifting, it's this feeling like you never had before, but it all comes to this place of submitting to Him, giving over that control and allowing the Spirit to baptize you. Let me put it this way. You may have the Spirit, but does the Spirit have you? I'll close with this. A minister and evangelist from long ago, Wilbur Chapman, was in London to meet uh, William Booth. Remember, William Booth was the founder of Salvation Army. I think I talked about him the other day. Uh, who at this time now was 80 years old. Chapman, this great preacher guy, listened reverently as the old general, they called him, spoke of the trials and the conflicts and, and the victories too. Then Chapman asked the general for the secret for success. Chapman writes this. He hesitated a second, and I saw the tears come into his eyes and flow down his cheeks. 
Then he said this, I will tell you the secret. This is the uh, William Booth talking. God has had all there was of me. God has had God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Chapman said he went away from that meeting with William Booth, knowing this. And I, I, this, I, I put this in front of my face <laughs> a lot. But Chapman wrote this. The greatness of a man's power is in the measure of surrender. That's what it is, you guys. This is the secret of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's there where you and I show some signs of life. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you and talk about all these things, God, it, when it comes to this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to God, you, and about you, it, it's hard to totally grasp because you're God. But the truths that you give us in your word, Lord, we want to hold to. God, I, I know tonight I would say that we all want to be filled with the Spirit. We all want to be baptized in the spirit we want to be empowered and gifted lord according to your will but god we want to live for you we want to be used by you god and lord to understand these things sometimes we got to go back but lord as a child we call out to you and you said just ask seek knock lord and you would give us, you said, the Holy Spirit. So we ask right now. We seek you right now. God, we want you and more of you, God, in our life. And we know that it comes from a true surrender. It's amazing we sang that song. God, we want to surrender all to you. We want to give you our hearts, everything, Lord, that we would truly be a temple of the Holy Spirit indwelt by the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we want to empty our cup of things of the world, things of ourselves, things of wanting our own will. We want to empty ourselves up and be filled, overflowing with your Spirit right now. As Paul wrote, God, to be continually filled with the Spirit, God, that is us right now. So I pray over us, God, that you would do that very thing, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, for anyone who hears my voice, God, whether it's online or here, let's just take a moment, just in, in the silence of your heart, repent of your sins. Repent of any self, selfishness and me-centered thinking. Go to God, give him your heart, and ask him for his Holy Spirit to fill you, to baptize you. Let's all stand together. Dear Lord, we stand before you, God, acknowledging you are our Lord and our God, that through you, Jesus, we are saved. God, we stand in honor of you, giving you glory. God, in understanding 
than what this passage means to us today. God, if there's anyone at the sound of my voice who is not saved, may you save them. May they call out to you, God. If there's anyone here, Lord, that is just struggling, God, may you come and help them and empower them, God, to get through those things. Lord, and as we all are servants in your body, God, empower us, Lord, to do the work of the kingdom in ministering to one another, in helping and serving one another. And God, help each one of us, me, God, to be your voice in this world as we go out to be lights, God. Sometimes I not, but I know by your power, when the Spirit comes upon me and all of us, that we can be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Samaria, out and to the other outer parts of the world, God. Help us today, Lord, as we give you our heart, our life, everything. In Jesus' name, amen.